This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey there, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 309, recorded Monday, February the 27th, 2017. So, Jason, how's it going? We are here to talk about the latest episode of The Walking Dead, of course. But first, you had a birthday yesterday. I had one birthday yesterday. It was my fair share. I didn't have more than one birthday. I just had the one birthday. That's good. I am glad you didn't take more than you deserve or need or want. Uh, But happy birthday to you. How does it feel to be 39? Uh, Yeah, it's my sixth annual 39th birthday. So uh, (laughs) it's actually, it feels pretty good. That's good. I'm glad. One of these days you'll turn 40 and enter your fourth decade. Or... Yeah, I really don't think so. No, you don't think so, eh? Not no, I happen? don't think so. No, I'm, yeah. All right. Well, congratulations on your birthday. And uh, did you Thanks. do anything special all weekend? Uh, yesterday, uh, yeah, we went to the grocery store. As a family, we all piled into the car and we uh, we went to the grocery store. That is quite the birthday outing. <laughs> oh, Jasper loved it. He thought it was the best thing ever. There was fans in the ceiling that were spinning around. There was people talking everywhere. It was great. You got to see a big display of meat. <laughs> <laughs> well, who doesn't like a big display of meat? Exactly. And cheese. So, I like a big display of cheese too. Yeah. Oh yeah, there was there's a there's a whole cheese island in this grocery store. That's amazing. Well, yeah. that sounds like the perfect birthday right there. It was it was pretty good. Yeah. All right. Well, congratulations. Uh, did you watch the Oscars last night on your birthday? We did. We watched not the whole thing. Didn't uh, hear about the ending of the of the Oscars until this morning, but uh, we watched uh, we watched a, a bunch of them. Had some you know some awkward moments, sure, some okay moments, and uh, uh, yeah, it was it was it was entertaining as it always is. It, it it well yeah it can go on a little bit long. Now we stayed up and watched till the very end. You did. So we got to witness the uncomfortableness in all oh, its glory wow. in real time. Um, and you reminded me today that we have something in common with the Oscars. It, we sure do. <laughs> we are La La Land we, of, we, of uh, podcasting. We really are. So <laughs> La La Land knows what it feels like to be us. Yep. And we know what it feels like to be them. Yes, that's correct. Because of you know, course, I, I kind of feel like Ryan, Ryan Gosling. I kind of, I kind of do. You know, when when I take my shirt off, I feel kind of photoshopped, right? You know, yeah, yeah with the with the uh, with the abs and the six pack and the, the Ryan Gosling ish, yeah, the, thing. I kind of feel like that. You know, the underneath of my you know regular self. <laughs> <laughs> the difference is Ryan Gosling doesn't need the Photoshop. <laughs> that's true. When he takes his shirt off, yeah, but he looks photoshopped. Well, you know, he's a he's a fine looking specimen. Anyways, uh, I'm of course referring to the time when we were listening to the podcast awards live and we were nominated and they announced us as the winner and then, oops, it was a mistake. Somebody else won. Somebody read the wrong card basically is what happened. So, uh, we are La La Land and they are us. Yep. And, uh, yeah, we, we know what it likes, we know what it's like to feel like we won and be excited about it and then be let down and then just, you know, have to go through the life of awkwardness. While it's explained that we didn't actually win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyways, congratulations to all the Oscar winners. I actually know someone who was attending it. So oh, wow. I'm, I'm interested in talking 
to uh to them to find out you know what it was actually like to be in the room um but you know good times so yeah well you know we it's price waterhouse cooper that uh, that screwed up they handed out uh, they gave the wrong envelope that uh, was a, a copy of the envelope for best actress right so it did say la la land on it so i can i can see the confusion but uh you know price waterhouse cooper your whole job the whole your whole job is to not fuck that shit up <laughs> yet they did <laughs> <laughs> that they did. Yeah. It, I, I originally thought maybe it was um, the guy who read the envelope. Who was that again? Oh, uh, the esteemed somebody or other. Oh, my God. Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. That's he, right. He, I thought it was his screw up, but it wasn't. He got the card. He looked at it, realized something was wrong, but didn't know what to do. So just read the movie that was listed there. When he yeah. should have probably said, I think I have the wrong card. Let's make sure we get the right card. And then they would have run it out to him. You got to remember that these... You know, these actors are not used to being in front of the audiences live that they are uh, on the Academy Awards. Oh, like there's a big on. audience in-house and it's televised to, you know, a billion people, if not more. So that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, if I got up there and, and, and did that and, you know, I've been performing my whole life, I've been in front of large audiences. If I went up there and got something that was confusing and I was you know, as old as Warren Beatty, I think I would probably mess it up. I'd be like, I don't know. I might, you know, even if I, if I did get the right card, I might open it up and look at it and go, these are words, but I can't, I don't know what they say. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't want to go on about this for too long, but I, I do think he, I, I totally agree. It's hard to think on your feet in that moment, right? You are supposed to read what's on that card. Your brain is telling you something's wrong, but your mouth is like, I got to read, I got to say something. So, yeah. uh, you know, or your eyes are telling you something's wrong, but your mouth is going, you better do it. You better do something. But so anyways, yeah, I don't really blame him. It's definitely the auditors. They screwed that up and yeah, let's leave it at that. Let's move on into our discussion. Finally of <laughs> season seven, episode 11. Sure. Hostiles and Calamities. Hostile and Calamities. Calamities. Hostiles and Calamities. <laughs> Hostiles and Calamities. Good evening. This is Captain Catherine Janeway, the Starship Voyager. Today, Chris and Jason will be joining us and will be lucky enough to hear their thoughts on The Walking Dead episode, Hostiles and Calamities. Warp speed, Mr. Paris. Thank you very much to Jeremy on the internet. Thaniel in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Reese on the internet. I hope I got that right. Matt in Lindenwald, New Jersey. And uh, of course, Captain Catherine Janeway at the end there. Kate Mulgrew. Sure, if you say so. That's who it was. She was uh, Mrs. Columbo before she was Captain Janeway. And then she was in uh, Orange is the New Black. All right. Well, you seem to have been following her career very closely. Oh, yeah. I'm not always not not too surprised. (laughs) Uh, All right. Thanks, everyone, for those title reads. Those were fantastic. Let's dive into the episode. We open today's cold or this week's cold open with Fat Joey dead on the ground. Oh, 
So we've kind of gone back. We've jumped back in time a little bit here to see what's been going on over there at the sanctuary where the saviors live. Fat Joey's dead on the ground. A bunch of Negan's guys are standing around, including Dwight. And Dwight notices that there's a motorcycle missing. So he's already starting to put two and two together here. He he knows, you know, Daryl's gone at this point. But we see him you know, run through the lower levels of the sanctuary to see if Daryl's in his cell. And while he's doing this, we see Negan's men returning with Eugene from Alexandria. Mm -hmm. So this kind of places us where we are now. We know that Negan's already been there. He's found the, uh, well, he was, Rosita tried to shoot him, hit Lucille, realized it was a homemade bullet, and he's brought Eugene back to, you know, join his club and I guess make some weapons for him. Yeah, make some bullets. Do the bullet-making thing, Mr. Man. At least that's what we think at this point. Uh, we see Dwight some more. Of course, he's kind of in panic mode. He goes back to his room, and he finds his own room messed up, and there's clothes scattered. And I think what he saw on the ground was um, Daryl's, like, captivity clothes, right? His prison clothes? Yeah. Discarded on the floor there. Um, we see Laura... And Laura is one of the saviors. She's leading Eugene to one of those private apartment rooms in the lower levels of the sanctuary. And I think Eugene seems to think he's being led to his death here. Yeah, he's he's being led to a, uh, a torture chamber of some kind. He's very afraid. He, he looks really, really afraid. I mean, Eugene, since we've met him, has kind of looked afraid, though. So it's not unusual for him, but... You know, he they're leading him. She leads him to this door. He looks like he's about to crap his pants. The music is swelling and swelling and swelling like there's going to be some giant reveal. And then they open the door and it's just one of those nice rooms for him to live in. Yeah, it is nice. I mean, it's maybe not as nice as one of the Alexandria houses, but it's certainly not um, not the worst place he could be stuck. I don't know. I have a certain place in my heart for uh, rooms that look like this. I'm not sure why. It's just, you know, it's got all the comforts of home. It's got a, a bed right next to the fridge and uh, an Atari. So, and a nice leather comfy chair and a lamp. It's, it just seems like a really nice, comfy, cozy, small place. It's it's tidy. It's clean. It just looks like it's a little rundown. That's all. A little rundown, a little, you know, a little tired is is the way I've heard things like this described. So it just needs a bit of an update. Yeah, there's a fern. It's nice. I would like a place like this. Maybe some colorful flowers in the corner might help, that sort of thing. Maybe line the window with colorful Christmas lights. That would mm -hmm. look nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember our, uh, I had a I had a, a big uh, jar full of Christmas lights that uh, were all lit up. I thought that was... Uh, I really enjoyed that jar of Christmas lights. What happened to it? I have no idea. Long gone. Where did it go? <laughs> That's a good question. I might still have that somewhere in a box. Who knows? You should make another one if you haven't. Well, Eugene goes into the room, he looks around a bit, and uh, Laura, Laura reveals to him that Daryl has escaped. So she's not holding back with that information. And she offers to get him any meal he wants, trying to make him feel comfortable. Now, of course, Eugene being Eugene, the first thing he asks about is lobster. <laughs> right. And she says, no, you can't have lobster, you idiot. Uh, <laughs> and ultimately, he settles on canned pasta with tomato sauce and pickles. A little Chef Boyardee. Yep. And some good stuff and some pickles, but pickles are good. Well, they're great, but she says they're currently out of stock on pickles, so he won't get those anyway. Anyway, right now, she also says that number forty-two makes pickles. So Eugene here learns that everybody is numbered. 
Mm-hmm. And you kind of identify by your number because, as you know, we are Negan. We are Negan. Right? Negan so, 42. There you go. So we're we're getting a little bit more in, a little bit more information here and a little bit more insight into the way the saviors are doing things, numbers and each of them have a job and stuff like that. So she leaves, I guess, and Eugene finds the fridge stocked with food. There's vegetables, there's fruit, there's beer, there's all kinds of stuff. I think even a pickle jar, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Considering she just said we're out of pickles, but hey, maybe that's the last last few well you can take uh you know if you have yourself a uh a jar of pickle juice you can just make more pickles you just throw some crap in there and that shit will pickle let's hope it's cucumbers and not shit but yeah or you know eggs or you know pickled beets you can put whatever you wanted in there you can pickle it almost anything i like pickled which is crazy but it's just the way i am yeah pickled stuff uh so he finds a fridge stocked full of food and then he goes over to the stereo plus presses play and we get easy street yeah we do that song stuck in my head for the rest of the episode (laughs) yeah i know me too i friggin' walk around like my house with that song going through my head now like it tortured daryl but it's torturing me too now do you think that they just you know came across a case of easy street cassettes that they just put in all the machines in the whole town like what are they doing here? What does this mean? It is weird. Like it would be in his stereo and also in the one that they're pumping into Daryl's cell. Yeah. They must've found like a, a truck full of a shipment to a record store. And this is the only song they have. Well, yeah. It's I don't know. Just, it's just strange. I don't know. And why is it on cassette? Is it on cassette? I I assume so. I think he- They got an Atari. I assumed it's a cassette. Okay. All right, well, whatever. I mean, seems to be the only song they have, or it's somebody's favorite song, and uh, they just put it in everything. Or maybe one somebody in uh, in in the town is you know in the band Easy Street. Well, there you that go. Performed Easy Street, and they happen to have a box of cassettes, and uh, <laughs> they're what they do is every time somebody comes in uh, into town and gets a room, they get a stereo with the cassette all queued up and ready to go. Yeah, this guy, this guy is walking around, or this person's walking around the sanctuary, holding you know a box full of cassettes, going up to everyone. Hey, you want to hear my demo? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> want to hear my demo? If you've ever been to Times Square, I've nearly fallen for that. Uh, you know, I don't want to call it a scam, but that whatever. You know, people walking around with CDs, going, "Hey, man, you want to want to hear my demo? Want to hear my music?" And, and then, then you get to pay for it. Well, and then you if you take it from them. They don't yep. want to take it back because they're trying to they're trying to sell it to you. But the one time I did take it from the guy, I was able to give it back without buying right. it. Well, what are you gonna do? You just walk away. I know, but I I wouldn't want to do that holding his demo CD. I want him to take it back from me before I leave. Right. Anyways, that's what's happening here. They got an easy street guy. <laughs> he's yeah. walking around with his tapes. Maybe that's his job. Yeah, he's That's his whole job is to make sure that everybody has a fresh Easy Street cassette in their uh, stereo. He's number 74 and that's his job. Yeah. All right, well meanwhile, uh Dwight is in his room still and he finds the Go Now note on the floor. Yep. Um which I guess Daryl left there. He sits there staring at it. There's a knock on his door and as he's going to open it, a bunch of Negan's guys bust in. And beat him up on the ground while Negan stands outside the door watching. Yep. So clearly Negan thinks that Dwight 
helped Daryl escape. Or at the very least, failed in his mission to break him. And he's being punished. Well, yeah, he's being punished for, uh, yeah, I guess you could be either one of those. Um, and it's worth a beating. Everything's worth a beating. That's true. <laughs> you know, you drop your pickle on the floor, you get a beating. <laughs> yeah, well, pickles are hard to come by. They and are. They're rare commodities. Number 42 is making them, and you don't want to piss off number 42. Yeah. Anyways, while that beating is happening, we go to the opening credits, and when we come back, we've got Dwight in a cell now, and I think it's safe to assume that's the same jail cell that Daryl was in. Yeah. Yeah, so he's in there. Negan bangs on the door, and he reminds Dwight that he spent a lot of time in there after his little road trip with the wife, referring to when he encountered Daryl last season in that burned-out forest. Uh, Negan says that Sherry is gone, and he wants to know if she helped Daryl get out. So maybe Negan never really, uh, never really suspected Dwight, but he knew that Dwight would be the guy to help him sort things out, and he has one way of, you know, of getting information from a person, and that's lock them up and beat them up quite a bit. Yeah, when the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Now, Dwight says no, that he didn't help Daryl, and then Negan asks, um, well, Negan, of course, wants to know if Sherry did it, right? And then Negan asks him the who are you question, and Dwight responds with I'm Negan, which reaffirmed his allegiance to Negan. So Negan's a funny guy, I think. He he suspects Dwight, he suspects Sherry maybe, but all it really takes for him to kind of accept Dwight back into the, the fold is that he's still saying, I am Negan. Which doesn't seem like a, a lot to me. You know what I mean? It's a psychological trigger, right? So it's, you know, you beat him up, you get him vulnerable, feeling vulnerable, feeling, uh, you know, on the outs, like he is in trouble. He's obviously uh, scared and uh, doesn't want to go through this anymore. It reminds him of when he was on his little joy ride with his wife uh, last time. Uh, and then when he comes out, it's it's handing him something comforting, right? Like it gives him, you know, who are you? I am Negan. That reaffirms his uh, his allegiance, allegiance, like you say, but after being psychologically um, taken apart. So it uh, it gives him a way back in, and I think it's a form of brainwashing. Yeah, I, I think you could be right. I'm just thinking, though, that, like, if, if, if Dwight did indeed help Daryl escape, and um, that's a pretty serious crime, like in terms of, in Negan's eyes anyways, that's a very serious offense against, you know, everything they've got going on there. But all it took for Negan to be satisfied that it wasn't Dwight was for him to say, you know, those three words. So I feel like that isn't, I feel like if Dwight really did something like that, it would be easy for him to say that kind of not truthfully. And Negan would, would, would fall for it, which could be sort of a weakness of his, right? But, yeah. but, but maybe you're right. Maybe Negan knows that he's just, he was broken down so, so poorly or so, so much before that, you know, him still saying this sort of thing is, is Dwight, you know, just still being on the same page. Yeah. Luc- Lucille can tell a lie from the truth. Oh, Lucille. I, I believe that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Lucille knows. That's it. I forgot. He was holding Lucille. And he trusts her implicitly. 
Well, that's because she's controlling him. She's the source of all his power. That's right. That's right. So Negan, you know, opens the door and he asks, um, or he says that Daryl either went home or he's coming back to kill them. And yeah, or maybe both (laughs) or maybe both, but he tells Dwight to track down Sherry and bring her back. Mm. So he wants to deal with that. So we cut to uh, Dr. Carson and he's stitching up Dwight's head from his beatdown, I guess. And Carson thinks uh, Sherry let Daryl go. And he says that Dwight was beaten unfairly. So he's kind of coming down on Dwight's side here. And, you know, he also says that Sherry was a kind and tender soul who married Negan to save her husband's life. And that's great and all, but that kind of person should have been dead in this world a long time ago. Because you don't survive on kind and tender is what he's saying. Yeah, you gotta be you gotta be strong to survive in this world. Except in this kind of scenario, because she agreed to marry Negan to save Dwight. And that's a hard thing to do. That doesn't make her soft. No, but it makes her kind, at least towards to sacrifice herself like that to save her husband. Well, maybe she's just it's just self preservation as well. I mean, what would happen to her next if she refused to do that? Uh, you know, what's the what's the other option? For her. Well, and also you have to remember that while being Negan's one of his wives is probably not the most pleasant experience in the world, at least you're provided for. And and I I don't know, maybe that's a horrible thing to say. Like uh, coming out of my mouth, I'm starting to think like, yes, you have to do these horrible things and sacrifice your your body to him, but at least you're clothed and fed. Uh, I think yeah, that's, I don't know. I don't know where to go with that, but, uh, it's a hard thing. I don't think it's a, it makes her soft in any way. I mean, you know, it may be, it makes her kind to her, her husband, but, uh, yeah, that's not an easy thing. No, definitely not. Well, in any case, Carson thinks she should have been dead a long time ago. We cut over to Dwight. Now he's back in his room. He takes an old pack of smokes from the mouth of one of those wall fish. Now yep. you're from a small town. Do those things have a name? Wallfish is fine. Trophy fish? Trophy fish. Hey, that's even better, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I never, I not, never, I've gone fishing like twice in my life. I know, but three times on. I can remember actually. You, you didn't have one of those on your wall or know people that did? Nope. Interesting. No fish. Interesting. All right. Well, I'm going to call it a wallfish. Okay. Wallfish is fine. Takes a pack of smokes out of its mouth. There are only two in there and they're, you know, half smoked. And one of them has lipstick on it. So he's been saving one of, uh, Sherry's half-smoked cigarettes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Smart. Why not? And then we see him go outside and he leaves on a motorcycle. So he's off to find his wife or mm-hmm. ex-wife. After a commercial break, we come back and we've got Laura. She's showing Eugene around the factory floor is kind of what I call it. It's also sort of a marketplace, I guess. It's the flea market. Yeah, it's the sanctuary flea market. Now, there's all kinds of things going on, including a barber, so he could get his haircut if he wants. She actually calls him haircut. She does. I sort of like that nickname. Yeah, yeah I, used to, I used to know somebody, a friend of mine, his sister, whose name was Erica, uh, he would call her haircut all the time. Because it sounds like Erica? or Because it she... kind of sounds like it, and it really, really annoyed her. He also called her Sanjay, or, and that really, really annoyed her as well. So it was more of a, it was in grade school, right? So his whole point was to... Uh, Tease her, but it reminded me of Marty's sister. Okay. Erica, well, Erica. Erica, aka Hi, Erica. haircut. 
<laughs> if you're out there. <laughs> so they're walking around this market, whatever it is. She explains to Eugene the point system. She says, you know, you write what you took, what you did, how much it was worth, and you sign your name. And uh, they come across a huge jar of pickles. So hey. number 42, I guess it just made a new jar of pickles. She signs for it and hands it to Eugene, the whole thing. The big whole friggin' stupid jar of pickles. That's a lot of pickles. That must have cost a lot of points, you would think. You'd think. I don't maybe know. Maybe he gets a, yeah, maybe he gets like a block of points when you first join, much like uh, a lot of, uh, what do you call those schemes that people try and accumulate points, air miles type thing? <laughs> uh, loyalty programs. Loyalty programs, that's it. So when you first join a loyalty program of some kind, you usually get a block of points at the beginning. So maybe he spent his block of uh, joining points on pickles. Maybe, I but, but she was the one who signed the paper. So I think maybe she has the... Later on in the episode, he says, I was gifted these pickles. So either she bought them for him or she has the authority to you know, provide like a bonus to someone who's new. Right. I don't know. Something like that. Anyways, they go outside. They're now near the fence with the zombies on the other side of it. And of course, Negan is out there. And as they're walking out, we hear him talking about sending Simon over there, meaning to Alexandria. And he says to good cop things first. So Simon is the good cop in this relationship to Negan's bad cop. That's so awesome. <laughs> that makes me like Simon even more. It really does. But the scale of, you know, good cop, bad cop, there's no middle ground here. They're both way on the bad cop side. It's just Simon's a little less bad cop than Negan. Well, has Simon ever hurt anybody? Well, I'm going to assume he has. We have, have we seen it? Well, he's have mean. we seen him actually hurt somebody? Or does he just talk and look like, him and that would be intimidating enough well come on we must have maybe we haven't seen him kill anybody or even hurt anybody but he he talks like he delivers he's intimidating man well he is you know but that's what i mean by good cop bad cop if he's the good cop he just goes in and talks up it talks up the the whatever you know position that he has but right. doesn't actually hurt anybody right and then if uh if the hammer needs to come down uh negan and lucille show up and they do a little bit of talking, but usually it's head bashing time. Come on, Negan does too much talking as it is too, but he just he has a different air of authority around him. Um, although I wouldn't like to encounter Simon either, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, we know that Simon is going to go on his way, and that's a scene we've already seen, of course. Yep. Uh, now Negan makes Eugene introduce himself. And he does the whole who are you thing with the rest of his people to reinforce the I am Negan again. Now, they have a longish conversation here, but what Negan really wants to know is whether Eugene is a smarty pants. If he's actually, you know, smart enough to have made that bullet and can he make other stuff? So Eugene explains that he found a machine shop and the equipment he needed to make bullets. He rattles off all those multiple degrees and says he was part of the human genome project again. These are the same lies that he originally told Abraham, right? Yeah, that was awesome. It was bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. It's like, hey, that's the same bullshit. That's awesome. Yeah, that's right. Same bullshit coming back. Coming back. It's like the one bullshit story he has and he just he just goes with it, but you know, under pressure why why reinvent the wheel? Just stick with what you know. <laughs> that's right. Um and while they're talking, 
there's a zombie that's stuck to the fence and it just kind of falls apart and rips in half and then it's just a you know shoulders and arms and a head stuck to the fence yeah it was pretty gross was pretty gross but the reason we see that is because negan wants to know if Eugene, being a smarty pants and all, can come up with a way to keep the walkers from decaying so much and falling apart. Basically, mm-hmm. keep them going longer so that they can provide more protection around the uh, sanctuary. So Eugene, thinking on his feet here, he comes up with this idea to coat them in metal. Melt down scrap metal pour molten metal over the walkers and let it harden and basically provide armor for him. He's seen this before because in the, in the bullet making uh, factory or shop that he found, remember there was a zombie with metal on its head and they couldn't take it out that easily. Yep. No, it's a, it's a really good idea. Well, let me ask you a question. Is it a really good idea or would pouring molten metal over a, a corpse kind of melted away to nothing anyways like would it would it keep its shape at that point well you gotta is it enough heat to completely melt through the skull and destroy the brain so that's what you that's that's the standard we have to uh uh, we have to determine because if it's just going to burn away the skin no problem if it's going to burn uh the skin to a crisp but leave the bone then everything's fine Right? Yeah, well, you need the bone structure. You need the structure to say, stay the same. And then uh, and then you've basically got like freaking Wolverine of, with a skeleton coated in metal and indestructible. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. As long as, uh, you know, the problem comes when you need to, uh, you know, what, the, what do you want that zombie to do, mm-hmm. right? If you're going to coat it in metal... It's not like it's going to be a suit of armor that has joints. It's going to be a slab of metal that makes you no longer movable. So what is the point of it? I mean, you have to leave something so that their arms are movable and that their jaws are movable to make them a threat in any way, shape, or form, right? Yeah. And if you're going to leave their arms and their mouth uh, uncovered in metal, they're going to rot, and it's just going to rot away from the inside. Uh, if you don't completely encase it, it's just going to, you know, the body is going to liquefy at some point and it's going to find the holes. And then you're, what you're going to get is some kind of weird art piece of an empty shelf shaped like a human head. Ooh, that's creepy and awesome all at the same time. Yeah, yeah it would be creepy and awesome. But I, I, I completely call bullshit on Eugene's idea. I don't, I think the only way that you could do it is to get a suit of armor and... I'm not even sure you, I don't think there's any solution to this. I think this is a nifty idea, but I don't think it's a, it's a solution for rotting zombies. I don't know. Maybe he just wants them to, to stick to the fence longer. Like the one we saw fall apart was stuck to the fence, right? So maybe if that thing was encased in metal, it would stick there longer without falling apart. It would still fall apart. It was still going to rot. The only way for it not to rot is to remove all, uh, access to the air around it, right? right? Just completely encase it in a Ziploc bag kind of thing. But even then, it's still going to rot in the Ziploc bag. It's going to find the holes. Unless you completely encase it, it's just going to rot on the inside and it's all going to leak out the holes. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he just wants, maybe they'll last a little bit longer if they're encased in metal. Or at the very least, the ones that are still walking around will be harder to kill because they're wearing a suit of armor. Yeah, and we saw that with uh, with Spiky Zombie in the last episode. I think it's a great idea. We did. We're going to armor up those zombies and uh, 
you know, make them into weapons. We did. So we saw that with uh, the zombie last week, and we saw it when Eugene encountered one last season, too. So it's not the first time we've seen this. Anyways, Negan loves the idea. And yep. he offers to send a few of his wives down to show Eugene a good time as a thank you. But he says no sex, <laughs> yep. just some dinner, drinks, and a few laughs. <laughs> yeah. Good. Uh, yeah, good. Because, you know, he wouldn't want his wives cheating on him. No, of course not. And of course, Eugene here questions the pluralness of the wives, the plurality of the wives, um, which, you know, Negan obviously is totally fine with. Of course. We go to a commercial break and we come back. We've got Eugene playing video games with three of his wives, and they are Tanya, Frankie, and Amber. And Frankie offers Eugene a massage, but he declines and says he knows that none of them want to be there. Yeah. So he doesn't want them to have to do anything they don't want to do. But they actually object to this and say that, you know, we do want to hang out and we can just have a good conversation. Yeah, I would, I would refuse the massage as well. I've refused to get a massage my whole life because, uh, you know, once I get that massage, I'm afraid of learning how good it feels to get a massage. And then <laughs> right. I'm screwed because I'm going to have to get massages for the rest of my life. As long as I never get that first massage, I'll never know what it's like and I'm fine. Okay. Uh, I, I sort of agree with you. I've never had a professional massage either, either, which some people think I'm nuts for doing that because it is a rather pleasant thing I've heard. Yeah, no, I can't do it. I, I need my pain. I need, I need this. I, I can't, I, no, you I couldn't do it. You thrive off of it. Does your wife ever like give you a back rub or something? It never, it, she tries. I don't like it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's just never come up. <laughs> no, I've gotten back massages and they feel kind of good, but you know, I would never get a professional massage. Okay. Well, um, and let's say I get a lifetime pass, like just free massages forever for life. Every day, <laughs> just get a massage. What, what if it's once a week? Fine. I, I, I don't know. Is that, is that the kind of thing is, is once a week? enough? No, I don't know. I've never had one either, but I'm just saying if there's any licensed mas massage therapists out there that are in Jason's area and you want to offer him free lifetime massages, I'm, he might take you up on the offer. I don't think I would. <laughs> really? I, I really don't think I would. Okay. If there's any around me that want to offer me this, I might think about it. Even, even when you say the idea of free lifetime massages, it just, it get, kind of makes me feel anxious. I, I would don't think I could ever do it. I wouldn't do it. I'm not sure you know what a massage is, but we can talk about that later. Um, where are we? So he objects to the massage, say they just want to talk, and um, they end up talking about whether or not Eugene could make a bomb and what ingredients they'd need. So they're sussing them out here. We skipped over Yar's Revenge. Have you ever played Yar's Revenge? No, but what would you like to say about it? That that's it. I just I've never played Yar's, Yar's Revenge, and I didn't know there was a backstory. But Eugene knows it. You think it's written on the back of the cassette? Uh, it possibly is. But if anyone's gonna know it, it's Eugene. Sorry, cartridge. I'm gonna get some hate mail for that. <laughs> it's uh, it's a cartridge. Yes, it is. <laughs> so I, you know, because they don't have the internet, he can't look up Yar's Revenge on the internet. If it's not written on the cartridge, he just knows that shit. Well, it's Eugene. Of course, he knows that kind of thing. Don't you think? Yes, <laughs> See? that's one. Of the, I really think that he just happens to know the backstory of uh, Yar's Revenge, and I think that's amazing. Well, I didn't know it, and I didn't really clue into the game he was playing. I know they spoke about it a little bit on the show, yeah. but it didn't really mean anything to me, and which is weird because you know I played some video games back in the day, um, but 
that was one I'd missed, I guess. Well, I was aware of the video game, but mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about it. Like, this is the first time I think I've seen it. And then they talked about it. So I thought that was interesting because they're it. not going to, they're not going to fake it. Right. Like the, uh, the writer would have done research on the internet for Yar's Revenge so that Eugene could spew that stuff. Uh, and I don't think that that was fake in any way, shape or form. No. But I, I think it's, uh, Yar's Revenge was interesting that it was on the show that they got a working copy of it to play on the show. And I think it's amazing that Eugene just happened to know that backstory. The kind of shit that he has in his brain is probably amazing. Oh, I bet it is. I bet it really is. Um, I would I would imagine, though, that the writer who put this episode together or the team, one of them is probably a Yars Revenge fan and was like, you know what? If he's going to be playing a video game, we're doing this. We're using Yars Revenge. Yeah. Because they could have gone Pac-Man. Everybody knows Pac-Man. They could have gone Donkey Kong. They didn't. They went with something a little more obscure, I think. Well, did they have Donkey Kong for the Atari? I don't know. I never had an Atari. Oh, they had, uh, there was Asteroids and there was um, Snake Pit, that one where they're swinging and yeah, uh, yeah, 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 Indiana yeah. Jones type thing. I don't know. Uh, there was uh, E.T., the extraterrestrial, the was, worst video game ever ever made. Was there Galaga or Galaga? I, I There's some controversy over how to pronounce that. Really? I always thought it was Galaga. I did too, but I have heard I think, Galaga. I think the, the graphics for Galaga and uh, even Donkey Kong might have been a little too high for uh, the Atari 2600. Wow. But I really don't know what I'm talking about. Because those were console uh, video games in arcades, right? Yes. Uh, so And that they had a lot more power than the Atari 2600, right? You'd have to assume, yeah. Yeah, so the graphics, I think, for those cabinet games were a lot better than the Atari games. Uh, so that's why I'm thinking they didn't have Donkey Kong for the 2600. I'm just talking to my ass. I really don't know. I played Asteroids and, uh, Pitfall. That was it. Uh, right, right. Pitfall. And Pitfall. And that was pretty much it on the Atari. Okay. Well, I don't know. I, I never had an Atari, but I did play a lot of, I think it was Galaga in a donut shop that used to be on the end of my street. One of those tables, yeah. you sit on oh, it. Oh, tabletop games? That, yeah. was the be- that was what I did. I went to the local arcade, sat my ass down at the Galaga machine, th- flunked in my quarter and sat there for a long time. It was awesome. <laughs> you got up eight hours later and uh, you were $1.25 poorer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good times. All right, well, back to the show. They uh, They talk about making a bomb, what ingredients they'd need. And of course, Eugene says, of course I could do that. So they cut to outside now at night out in the courtyard. And Eugene has filled a couple of balloons with hydrogen. Now, are we to believe he he made the hydrogen or, or found it somewhere? Or what's the deal here? You can't just find hydrogen. Okay, but make it. how do you Not make it? Not in the zombie apocalypse. I mean, is there a big canister of hydrogen? No, I think he made the hydrogen. Do you know how to make a hydrogen? No. Okay. Well, let, that yeah. this is a factory, right? So I assume that there's some kind of lab that they can, uh, uh, you know, they have a Bunsen burner and a beaker of some kind and an Erlenmeyer, Erlenmeyer flask and uh, tongs of some kind. Right. And I think that he probably knows enough to use uh, the chem lab. Because if it's a factory and they do any kind of testing whatsoever, right. they usually have a, a lab to do that testing. And then they have the shit in the lab to facilitate that. So that's what I'm thinking happened here is that uh, he found the lab, he put together a, you know, whatever he needed. Uh, and if you're going to, you know, break hydrogen or break water into hydrogen and oxygen, 
you know, I could look it up on the internet. He can't, but he obviously, his head contains the internet. You know, probably version 3.0. Seems like it, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he, yeah, I think he made the hydrogen and filled the uh, the latex gloves with hydrogen. Right, so he's got latex glove balloons with hydrogen, and then he's got a big beaker with something in it, which he pours something else into, and it causes a chemical reaction, which spews the stuff out, spews yeah. the foamy-looking stuff up and out. I do not remember high school... Well, I actually didn't ever took high school chemistry, so I didn't do any of these sorts of things. So I'm sure someone out there can tell me exactly what's going on in that beaker. But then he lights a, a candle, <laughs> as he says, and he blows up the hydrogen balloons, which is essentially his version of a little bomb. He does it in such a flamboyant way, and sorry, pun not intended, uh, that he he does both things at the same time. Like he lights the candle, and then he. Uh, has the, the shit spew out of the flask yeah. and then he blows up the thing. Like it's just this presentation that I thought was, was amazing. While he starts humming, uh, flight of the Valkyries, I think. Yeah. Was it dun, 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 dun. Or was it flight of the bumblebees? No, it was no, flight of the bumblebees. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're right. He, he put on a little show for the girls. So maybe he's a science teacher. Uh, something like that. He knows knows more than I do. If they'd come in and ask me, can you make some hydrogen, blow up some balloons and cause a a uh, test tube volcano or whatever that was, I wouldn't know what where to start. So, Well, give me a lab in the internet. Oh, fine. I could probably do it. Fine. Maybe the internet, sure. Anyways, that was fun. Um, all the while, though, uh, Amber is not looking so good. She's kind of off to the side, drinking a bottle of champagne or sparkling wine of some kind. And it uh, doesn't seem to be in, in great shape, but more on that later. Right now, we cut over to Dwight. He arrives at a house, and I guess he thinks Sherry might be there, so he starts looking around. And while he's looking around, we hear Sherry doing a voiceover, which turns out to be her reading a note that she's left for Dwight in this house. And it is revealed through this note that this was a location where her and Dwight were supposed to meet if they ever got separated. And she reveals that, you know, uh, she is the one who freed Daryl. And she says in the note, she's sorry for getting Dwight mixed up in Negan's world. Um, she blames herself for everything that's happened to Dwight and basically says she hopes that he eventually can get away. Um, and while Dwight's looking around, he finds their wedding rings and he puts them in that cigarette case with the lipstick cigarette. So I guess this was their old house or if like, I didn't get the feeling this was just like somewhere they chose to meet up. Like this was somewhere special to them. Well, maybe they hung out here for a little while and said, okay, this is the place we're going to meet. Or That's right. They could have hung out there after the apocalypse for a while and then sort of made a home there. Um, or it could have been where they lived before or where they lived for a while. I don't know, something like that. So, yeah. but Dwight's pretty emotional about all of this. Um, they had talked about bringing pretzels and beer there and he brought the pretzels and beer this time. So before he leaves, he left, he, <clears throat> he leaves them on a table, which is kind of sweet. I was thinking he's leaving them here in case she comes back and she'll then know that he was there. Yep. Right. Yeah, I thought so too. So there you go. Uh, all right, back to Eugene. He is playing more video games on his Atari 
Tanya and Frankie come back again and they explain this time that Amber is not doing very well and that all she does is drink and cry. Yeah. So that's not very good, not a very good combo. And they tell him that Amber wants to kill herself and they ask Eugene to make her, basically make her a suicide pill. Can he do that? Can he put together a mixture of medicine and, I don't know, sawdust or something so that when she takes that, it will put her to sleep and make sure she never wakes up again. Sawdust. I think you're thinking of dynamite. <laughs> well, dynamite's made with uh, nitroglycerin and sawdust. Well, I don't know. Maybe. I'm, I'm thinking of whatever he needs to put in that pill to uh, end her life. And he reluctantly sawdust. agrees. It's the first thing that came to my mind. How about, <laughs> how about, how about neocitran and arsenic? Arsenic would work. Neocitran would probably help. See? Cold. <laughs> Maybe make her drowsy. I'm just saying. Yeah, probably. The point is Eugene asks what her exact weight is so he knows what kind of dose she needs and then I think reluctantly agrees to make make the pill. Yeah. He wants to do what he can. Uh, commercial break, come back and Eugene is now back in the marketplace. He's waiting in line but he quickly gets impatient. He skips to the front and asks for the cold capsules. So this is what he's looking for to, to make this suicide pill. And the woman there at the desk rejects him at first, but he uses his position of authority, sort of, his fake position of authority to get yeah. the pills. He says that he's the chief engineer of this facility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, why not? He's going to be in charge of... Uh, smelting or melting down metal and pouring it on zombies. Yeah. That, well, that's what, uh, what's your name said at the beginning was if you want something, take it. Right. There you go. Because they're the, uh, they're the upper echelon of Negan. Maybe these numbered people are not Negan. Maybe just the, uh, the elite are Negan. You know, all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. Maybe, uh, maybe Negan is the, uh, is the elite. Uh, pigs of the uh, animal farm. Maybe I could see, I could see Negan working things like that. You know, everyone's a number, but um, his closest advisors and admirals or whatever they are, those are the Negans. Yeah. But they still put down their numbers, right? They put down their, uh, their, their name and they sign it and they, they get things for points. Well, everybody, maybe that everybody is a number, but some of them are also Negan. Right. Maybe they're just, you know, it, you know, when you want to be polite, you be polite, but when you don't want to be polite, you just take what you want. Yeah, well, that's what Eugene does. Um, he, he, you know, exerts his authority. She gives him the pills, but he ends up taking a bunch of other stuff too, like a bedpan and a fly swatter, and then everything in the box, basically. He pours it into the bedpan, and he's out of there. Well, he needs the bedpan in order to mix chemicals, and he needs the fly swatter to swat flies, because, damn it, there's probably a lot of flies in this place. There probably are, actually. There's probably a lot of flies everywhere with all the walking dead hanging around. So then we see Eugene making the pills. He's doing his scientist thing there. Yeah. Dwight, he's getting treated by Dr. Carson again, and I guess he's back from his little uh, journey out to the house, and he says that he found her, he lies, and says that he found Sherry in trouble with some walkers, and he killed her. There you go. So he lies about that. Um, now we have Laura, and she's leading Eugene into the furnace room, where we saw that guy get ironed in the face uh, earlier in the season. They're up on the uh, the catwalk, and they come down part way, and they sort of watch the crowd below. Dwight is heating the iron, 
and Negan comes in and he doesn't really waste any time. He swings Lucille at Dr. Carson right in the arm, injuring him. Ouch. Yeah. So Negan, um, Negan has part of the note that Dwight found in the house written by Sherry. And he has the part where she signed it and it says, goodbye, honey. Right. Goodbye, honey. And he says that he found it in Dr. Carson's desk. So what's going on here? Dwight is framing Dr. Carson. It sure seems that way. And, you know, he accuses, Negan accuses Dr. Carson of letting Daryl get out or somehow being involved in that. Carson, of course, denies it, but Negan wants him to admit it and apologize. So, um... Negan says that he doesn't believe Dwight would do this uh, because Carson sort of implies that. And Negan doesn't believe it because Dwight knows the consequences if he did, right? He knows that this would be his death warrant if he did anything like that. So he doesn't do it. Negan holds the iron up close to Carson's face. He breaks down and says he's sorry for doing it. He's trying to save himself, Dr. Carson, by admitting to a crime he didn't commit. So Negan doesn't burn his face, but instead... He throws him headfirst into the furnace. Yes. And everybody's around, including the wives, the three women, and they're all just looking on in horror. Some of them can't even watch. Uh, I don't blame them. It's pretty horrific to see someone go headfirst into a, like a furnace like that. Um, and, you know, before the season finish uh, season, before the scene finishes, Negan comments to Dwight that it's a good thing they have a spare doctor and says he's sorry because Sherry was one of his favorites. And then uh, Dwight responds with, I'm not, meaning I'm not sorry. And Negan is impressed because Dwight is so, like, ice cold. Yeah. So, all right. So let's back up a second here. So Negan, I, we assume Dwight planted the note in Dr. Carson's desk. Negan finds that somehow because he goes through everybody's stuff, I guess. And then that's enough for him to think that Carson helped Daryl escape, maybe with Sherry's help. But why would, why would he do that? So he's already got uh, his his wife is already gone, and he's already come up with a plausible reason why nobody will go looking for her. Right. So, but maybe he doesn't believe in that plausible reason. Like if he comes back and says, uh, "I found her and she's dead." Yeah, you'd think that would make nobody go looking, but maybe he's he's trying to ensure that nobody does. Um, but then she's dead, so yeah, I'm not sure why he needs to frame Doctor Carson here. I feel like we're missing something, though. I that, me too, and that's uh, it. Kind of bugged me because I, I I just don't understand. I understand what happened. I just don't understand the motivations behind it. Maybe that'll become clear in the fullness of time, but I don't think there's enough information in this episode. Well, I'm, I'm sure listeners can help us sort this out. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, let's see, Dwight knows that, that Sherry is still alive or likely still alive. The point is he actually didn't find her. Right. Yeah. So he wants to ensure that she can be safe, whatever she's doing. And she will never be safe if she knows that, or sorry, she'll never be safe if Negan's guys are on her trail looking for her. And so is this his way somehow of ensuring that that doesn't happen? 
I, 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 that's all I can think of, but I'm not sure how those two fit together, right? Because I don't see how killing the doctor, one of the probably the most important people you have in the whole group, I don't see how that helps. Maybe he pissed off Dwight somehow. Well, what did Maybe there's a, you know, there's a, a backstory that we don't quite know yet. Dr. Carson? I mean, he said yeah. that he all he did was say he thinks Sherry did it, and she was a kind person or whatever, tender person. I mean, is 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 Dwight mad about that? Maybe maybe Negan loaned out his wife to the doctor. And he's uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. taking them out one at a time. I don't know. Anyways, everyone, help, help us figure this out. I obviously were a little bit confused. I mean, it made for a crazy scene. I did not like to see Dr. Carson thrown in that fire. And uh, I can't imagine how horrific that must have been if it was real. <laughs> but <laughs> even watching it was pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, but I also think that Negan didn't think this through. He says in the scene, we have another doctor. And I think he's referring to Eugene, right? Yes, because he said he has a, he went to medical school and has a doctorate. Right. But he didn't. And he's not a medical doctor in any case. Maybe he is. We don't know what part is, like we know what part is a lie, but we don't know about the other shit. Like he might very well be a, uh, uh, a science guy, uh, you know, Dr. Smarty Pants that uh, he just lied about what he was doing so that people would want to keep him alive on the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I, don't know. I, Maybe, but I don't think, I just don't think Eugene is a medical doctor, even if he does hold a PhD in something, right? Um, no, I don't think, yeah, I didn't get the impression that he's a medical doctor, but if this, you know, statement of we have another doctor is referring to, referring to Eugene, Eugene's going to, fail like why didn't he help dr denise in alexandria for crying out loud yeah like if you're a doctor she's not right she's <laughs> freaking out because she's not a doctor help her out do something man you know give give her some advice yeah something okay well, so no he, eugene's full of shit but i just don't know how much shit is he's full of and how much shit is true right and we don't understand why dwight was framing the Dr. Carson, and we don't think Negan made the right decision to kill the only doctor he had on his staff. So everybody, that's, everybody that's has correct. gone nuts here, <laughs> including yeah. you and I, until someone writes in and says, listen, you idiots, this is how it is. Yes. And I, yes, absolutely. Please write in with that exact statement. Listen, you idiots, and then tell us what's going on, because I think we're confused. All right. Well, we'll wait, we'll wait for that. And uh, back to the episode after commercial break, we've got Eugene. He's playing his video games again. That's how he spends all his free time. Frank, Lucky bastard. Yeah, seriously, eh? <laughs> Frankie and Tanya come in and they ask for the pills, the suicide pills that he made. Eugene says he made them, but they can't have them because he has realized that they're not actually for Amber. Instead, they're for Negan. And he figured this out because one, I think he realizes that Negan is a giant asshole and everyone wants him dead. And also yep. they asked for two pills and Negan is probably at, you know, nearly twice as heavy as skinny little Amber there. He's pretty skinny himself. I don't think that Jeffrey Dean Morgan is more than 150 pounds, well, 160 pounds. Fair enough. He does look really skinny, but they said Amber weighs about 120. So two pills, in theory, could kill a dude that's 240. Maybe they want to kill Amber and uh, Negan. Maybe. Maybe they do. Yeah. <laughs> Why not, really? Um, 
So anyways, he decides that he doesn't want to give them the pills because they're not actually for Amber. The, the wives threatened to tell Negan that Eugene was trying to kill him, but he thinks it won't work because he considers the wives expendable or replaceable and himself not. So Negan will, you know, even if they go to say Eugene was plotting this plan, he'll do something to the wives, to uh, Frankie and Tanya, and not him. Right. Not so sure he's correct about that, but that's where he's, his mind is at. Um, and uh, then later, Eugene is eating a pickle in his room, and Negan comes to the door. He does not look happy. Nope. Um, and Negan comes in and asks him how he likes it here, and says he doesn't just let anybody join his group. And he tells Eugene that he doesn't need to be scared anymore, but he has to answer one question. And of course, everyone knows the question is going to be, who are you? But before Negan can even get it out of his mouth, Eugene, in no uncertain terms, says, I am Negan. I'm Negan. I'm right there with you. Yep. I'm on board. I'm in. He says 100% completely, I am Negan. I was Negan before you even brought me here, but I just needed to meet you to make sure. I was born Negan. I was Basically, that's what he says. Yeah, I was born Negan. I am Negan. Yeah. So I think the whole pill thing was a was a test. You think so, eh? Ooh. I think it was. Uh, I think Negan sent in his wives to play this little game to test him to see if uh, if if he would jump at the jump at the bait of uh, taking an opportunity to kill Negan. That is just sort of plausible enough that I totally believe you. So that's when, you know, Negan shows up and says, uh, you know, you don't have to be afraid anymore. You passed the test. Yep. Just, you know, I have to ask you one question. You know, who are you? I'm Negan. I'm Negan. I'm right there with you. You know, <laughs> yeah. here's the pills. I made these pills. Take the pills. You know, give them to whoever whoever don't, you want. Don't take the die. pills. Just, well, don't take know. the pills, but take the pills. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, don't, don't call me a tow truck. Just call me a tow truck. <laughs> right? Right. I get so, it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I think it absolutely was a, uh, a test of, uh, a test to see if he would, uh, if he would jump at the chance of killing Negan. Okay. So, but here's the, the big question. Is Eugene being genuine? Is he really Negan or is he either just saying it to stay alive or two, working an inside man angle? So now Rick's group doesn't know it, but has a man on the inside. I don't think Eugene is uh, has the intestinal fortitude to be the inside man as part of a con. I think he's just doing this to survive. That's that's his whole thing, right? Yeah. He will fucking tell anybody anything in order to to survive. He's scared. He's uh, he doesn't feel like he has any real life skills in this new uh, apocalyptic world. So he latches on to the strongest person he can find and lies to them to keep them al- keep him alive. I He's think doing the exact same thing here. I think you are probably right, but I think what's going to happen if I had to make a, take a guess, somehow his um, you know allegiance to Negan, even if it's completely genuine at this point, is going to ultimately help in the battle against Negan for the other side. Oh, absolutely. Eugene's going to redeem himself here. He's going to help, uh, and it's going to be awesome. I think so too. At, at some point, he's going to have to make a choice. He's going to step up and he's going to make the choice that helps Rick's side of this battle. And he may not survive that choice, 
but it will be one of the key things that causes Negan to lose the war. If, yeah, absolutely. if there is indeed a war or a battle of some kind coming up. So I, I feel like that's, you know, that's how it's going to play out. But you're right. I think right now, Eugene probably actually does mean it, that he is Negan and he is completely on his side. I don't think Eugene's going to die. I don't think Eugene's going to leave the show. I want, you know, if Eugene ever leaves the show, I want him to go off and do an odd couple type buddy comedy uh, with uh, somebody else who is, I would have liked to have seen him and Abraham do a, a buddy. I would have liked to have seen, you know, Rosita, Abraham and Eugene in their own spinoff. <laughs> just, frankly. yeah, just that show. <laughs> I'd, I'd check it out. Why not? I'd watch that. Totally. It'll never happen now. So sad. No, too bad. Uh, anyways, so just before the episode ends, we see Eugene, who is obviously in a position of power. He is the head engineer here, and he's he's out on that balcony overlooking the wall where we saw Dwight eating his sandwich all those episodes ago, and he's overseeing the workers at the fence. They're sort of putting his molten metal plan into uh, play, and Dwight comes out, and Eugene says his name he introduced or and and he says that he knows dwight's name he says you know i'm eugene you're dwight and we are negan dwight looks at him and says yeah and the episode ends <laughs> <laughs> yeah so pretty interesting uh pretty interesting ending right you you get the feeling that whether it's an act or not and i don't think you and i think it's an act that eugene is fully on board with Negan's plan here, um, even if it's just to survive and stay alive, but that Dwight is kind of falling off a little bit, even more so now. Yeah, I think they're going to team up. I think that they could make a good buddy comedy. Dwight and Eugene? Dwight and Eugene, <laughs> you know, we are Negan. <laughs> That's what it would be called, we are Negan. Yeah. We ride motorcycles and, you know, look for lost babies. I don't know. <laughs> Something, yeah, some <laughs> yeah. kind of detective agency, you know, solving crimes in uh, New Orleans or something. There you go. I think that'd be great. So what did Eugene call his little stuffed animal? Do you, did you write that down? I, oh, I missed it. I'm afraid I did not write it down, but he, he said he didn't know what this was, but I'm going to call it a something. Yes. I just, I, I just, I, I meant to write it down, but I forgot. And now I want to remember it because it, it was funny. Because it, it, he's got it in his pocket now, right? You're right. At the end of the episode, it's in his pocket. It's sitting there hanging out of his pocket. Like it's his, it's his little buddy. It's what he, uh, it's, he walks around with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. yeah, I don't remember what he called it, but it was funny. That thing is probably just going to be, we're going to see it hanging out of his pocket. Hey, it's his thing. Maybe. I mean, we maybe. thought, we thought his, his haircut was his thing. Maybe it's now the haircut and the stuffed animal. I don't know. It might be his thing. I think his haircut's still his thing. I think that thing would be just funny. But he's eating pickles too now, right? So maybe he it's pickles and this thing and his haircut and uh Yar's revenge. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He uh he's got a few things, I guess. Uh all right, what did you think of this episode? How did you enjoy it not having the sort of main cast in there, seeing Negan again, learning a little bit more about how the sanctuary works? What do you think? I thought it was good. I thought it was fun. It was a, it was a lighthearted episode, but that's what uh, Eugene is for, right? He's comic relief in this show. So it was more of a, a lighthearted episode. Uh, overall, I think I liked it. 
I don't know if I'd call it lighthearted though. Like some terrible stuff happened. Yes, Eugene is funny. He's definitely some comic relief. The way he delivers lines is amazing. You know, I love that. Eugene is one of my favorite characters. So it's nice to see him, you know, get a lot to do. And it's, it's one of the few times Eugene has been at the forefront of an episode, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this was a pretty good one. You really, you really need this. And I like how it gave us a little bit more uh, of the sanctuary and the way the saviors work. And I think Jeffrey Dean Morgan toned it down a little bit in this episode. Oh, he they listened to you. Well, I don't know about that, but he wasn't so Negan-y. He wasn't. He, it was there. You could still see it, but it didn't bother me as much. So either I'm getting used to it or, you know, he's settling into this character a little bit more and he doesn't have to swagger around so much. He's also, you know, Negan's also not putting on a show for somebody external as well, right? He's only dealing with, uh, with people in his own, uh, his own crew. So maybe it's toned down for that reason. Yeah, it could be. It's, and, and that's what we've talked about before, where he kind of, he, he amps it up a little bit when he's putting on the show and here he didn't need to as much, but like, you know, when, when they beat up Dwight, you know, he just stands there watching. And I feel like six episodes ago, he would have been like cheering them on or saying something just while they're beating him up. And then when he comes to Eugene's room at the end, you know, he, he opens the door and he's just standing there looking at him like, like staring daggers into the dude. And then when he comes in, he's, he's not, he's not kind of big, loud, obnoxious Negan. He's a little bit more reserved, a little bit quieter. And he's like, you don't have to be scared. And I got to ask you one more question. He's a little bit more menacing. And I think that's better. Yeah. Like darkly menacing. It is good. It was good. <laughs> uh, I, I liked it toned down a little bit, but I think there's a character reason why it's toned down, not just an actor or a director reason. Yeah, you're probably right. And and I'm fine with both, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, if they do both. So, uh, so yeah, good, uh, good times. I enjoyed this episode too. Let we us... also got more insight into Dwight's character, which is good as well. Like we got a bit more of his, uh, not only backstory, but uh, a little more depth for him. Like we, we knew a lot of this stuff already, but uh, I think what we learned about Dwight is that he's able to mani- manipulate Negan in order to take out somebody for his own purposes. We don't know what those purposes are, but yeah. he's capable of doing it. Yeah, that's right. Dwight seems to hold a pretty significant position of power within the hierarchy of Negan's guys. Like he's, he's essentially his right-hand man, it seems like, right? Yes and no. I mean, uh, I think Simon is his right-hand man, like good cop, bad cop kind of thing, and runs his own crew. Like Dwight doesn't run a crew. Dwight's just a, you know, he's just this guy, you know? And <laughs> He's Zafon he, Beeblebrooks, yeah. <laughs> he just, he, he's kind of a lone wolf and does things like special uh, special tasks and doesn't, uh, it's, it's not like he runs a crew or anything. I know, but see, I think that's what puts him actually up a notch, right? There's Negan at the top and then there's Dwight, his sort of odd job guy who does some of the dirty work and who, but who's always right there. And obviously Negan trusts him greatly because even when there, it looked like maybe Dwight had betrayed him, Negan immediately let him back in. And and then below Dwight, I feel like is all of the like lieutenants, like, um, Simon and the other dude who goes, what is it, Jared, who goes to uh, 
to meet with the kingdom with Ezekiel. Yeah. Um, you know, and we've only seen a few of those guys, but, but I feel like they're one step down, even like Dwight, if he was on the same level, he'd be running a crew. So right. I don't know. Do you, is it that Dwight has more power because he doesn't do that or less power because he doesn't do that? I'm not sure he has power. I think he has uh, or respect access. or access. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, because he's not really a consigliere either, right? He doesn't really uh, advise Negan in anything. He just he kind of does special odd jobs, like you know when they have somebody as uh, meaningful as Daryl. It's like, well, you take care of Daryl and break him, right? And when he failed to do so, he got a beat down. Yeah. And then there was complications of uh, you know his wife and stuff. But uh, yeah, it, it it I'm not sure he fits into a traditional power structure. So I'm not sure if he has a lot of power or a little bit of power. Or if with the access he does have, he's able to manipulate things to his own advantage. You're right. Power's power's probably not the right word exactly with anybody <laughs> other than Negan. Um, but you're right. He does have access and he has he's in a position and he has a certain amount of trust. He does. In or does. sorry, Negan has a certain amount of trust in him, which gives Dwight this advantage to manipulate the situation sometimes. Yeah. And remember that uh, a friend of mine once said that power is the ability to do work. Control is the ability to limit it. So I think uh, a lot of people that I tend to work with have more control than power. They think they have power, but they don't because they can't actually do anything. They just have the ability to limit the shit that gets done. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't know. Either way, Dwight, I think, is going to use the ability powers that he has or the ability that he has to you know somehow betray Negan eventually and uh escape or you know help the other side in some way but we'll have to wait and see yeah all right let us know what you thought of the episode send your emails in if you want to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com and uh now it's time to take a quick break when we come back uh we'll do holy crap and uh something else actually right here at the end So stay with us. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Gato Negro. It is the perfect wine pairing for your favorite TV show, whatever it is, including, of course, The Walking Dead. Uh, Now, Jason, I know you tried the wine a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. ago, but I have now had a chance to try it as well. Oh, good. How do you you like it? I got to say, I am really, really pleased with it. Now, you know, going back to what you were saying a couple of weeks ago, I'm sort of in the same boat. I haven't been a big wine drinker for some time, and... uh, 
you know, I've I've now tried, had some Gato Negro, and I think it's kind of getting me back into enjoying wine. Oh, good. Which is which is fantastic, and I think it's a similar experience to what to what you had because I know you liked it too, and and you're not a wine guy, which is mm. which is cool. But uh, you know, this is this is really good stuff. My my wife had some; she really enjoys it. It's not her first time having Gato Negro, so she already oh, really? knew. Yeah, she already knew it, it was good stuff. But uh, you know, she always sits at home <laughs> and drinks wine by herself. <laughs> it's not exactly what I mean. You know what I mean? I'm usually here, but we don't share a bottle of wine. Yeah. But now I mean, we it's are. okay until she gets to the point where she's hiding in a toilet tank. Yeah, right? that's that doesn't happen. That does not yeah, happen. That's don't good. worry about that, everybody. Uh, but she, you know, now we can share a bottle of wine while we watch Walking Dead every week, and it's fantastic. Sweet. It's really, really nice. So I recommend everyone you go out and try it. It is, like I said, the perfect pairing for The Walking Dead or your favorite TV shows. And if you like it and you want to check it out, make sure you follow Gato Negro on Instagram, their username Gato Negro Wine, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Gato Negro Wine. You can sip the terror of your favorite TV series with Gato Negro Wines. Gato Negro, adored everywhere. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are going to talk really quickly about our Record Your Favorite Scene contest. <gasps> I decided to move it here to the sort of second portion of the show or the uh, final block of the show because uh, it's funny, Jason. I decided that I wanted to try to get into our recaps a little quicker at the beginning of the podcasts. <laughs> it failed today, it, but it, I think that in general, it's a good idea. Yes, exactly. I think, I think sometimes the A block goes on a little too long and we, we go off on tangents, which, you know, I know we're known for a little bit, but if we can at least get into the episode recaps, you know, a little quicker, I think people will like that because ultimately that's pretty much what they're here for now today we ended up talking about the oscars for much longer than i anticipated but what are you gonna do hopefully from here on in my plan will execute perfectly <laughs> but we'll <laughs> yeah, see right yeah we'll see uh so anyways the record your favorite scene contest in case you don't know or this is your first time listening what we do is we ask our listeners to pick a scene from any episode of the walking dead any season record sort of a a performance of it in any way you want. It can be an interpretation or a word-for-word performance and uh, and send it in to us. And then at the end of the season, we will, Jason and I will choose our favorite and you win a nice big fancy prize pack full of all kinds of stuff, including Walking Dead trade paperbacks, a podcast t-shirt, um, uh, DVDs, and a few other, lots of other good stuff. So yeah, it's more of a prize pile. It is Just, a, you know, it's, it's a kind of a pile of prizes that, uh, that we'll give out. It is fantastic. Yeah. It's a big pile of good, good stuff. Um, and one of the things, of course, we like to do is play an entry when I can in the, uh, record your favorite scene contest to help people, um, be inspired or something like that and, and hear what other people are doing. So this one 
comes from Wendy and her family in New York. And I got to (laughs) say, Wendy and her family recorded nearly 10 minutes of stuff. (laughs) Wow. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what episode this comes from after I play it, but I cut down the 10 minutes into one particular scene, but they, they recorded practically the entire episode (laughs) of the walking dead. So here's Wendy and her family. And uh, maybe you can figure out what, what episode this is from Jason by listening to it. Okay. Four from A, four from D. Yeah. What? Don't do this. We can fix this. No, you can't. You don't have to do this. We told you there's a way out of all this. You just have to take a chance. We have a man who knows how to stop it. He has a cure. We just have to get him to Washington. You don't have to do this, man. We can put the world back to how it was. Can't go back, Bob. We can. You don't have to do it. So that was like, what, 40 seconds or something of, of the nine and a half minutes that Wendy and her family submitted. Uh, but any, any recollection of where that's from? No, I don't. I know that uh, they're talking about Eugene. Uh, right. But I can't pinpoint the episode. And it's somebody talking to Bob because they said his name there at the end. Uh, but, you know, no, it's tough. It's tough. They recorded uh, season five, episode one, which was called No Sanctuary. Mm. And that is the scene. Right. Right. That is yeah. the scene where everybody is leaning over the trough and they're gagged and, you know, um, they're getting hit in the back of the head with a baseball bat and then their neck slit. Oh, yeah. And uh, Bob is is talking to gareth that was his name right the leader yep. of the the uh terminal terminus people and uh you know trying to say don't do this we have a guy we can help you and uh that's that so he's gagged that's why you know he's muffled at first which i thought was a nice touch it is nice that touch. was fun it was good very very good but thank you wendy and your family for sending that in if you would like to put an entry into our record your favorite scene contest by all means record something you can do all the parts yourself or you can get together with your family and friends and record it um, and one thing i haven't said in a while is that the quality the sound quality of the recording doesn't factor into our decision-making process when we're listening to these because of course we know not everybody has access to high quality microphones recording equipment recording studios whatever so record it on your phone do what you need to do um it's more about sort of the performance and the fun factor and how it makes us feel right yeah well they all make me feel good well that's true they all make you feel good (laughs) me too but it's super fun so uh get those in you can email them to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com Um, that's the best way to do it and, uh, keep them coming folks. Holy crap. Did you see that? All right. Um, a pretty short, holy crap. Did you see that segment this week, Jason? I have a feeling that this episode did not inspire a lot of jumping up off the couch and yelling, holy crap at people's TVs. I did it. I did it like 17 times. Well, you should have sent in a few uh, holy craps then but uh i do you never play them oh i'm such a jerk <laughs> i'm such a jerk what do you, what do you don't admit to everyone i'm a dick <laughs> they all know that chris oh. long time listeners know 
Oh, long time listeners. David in Ireland writes in, my holy crap moment is the eggs in the fridge. And I must say that Negan might have everything, but he does not know how to store eggs properly. Uh, Why is that? And, yeah, well, I must say, I don't, I'm afraid, David, I don't understand. Aren't eggs supposed to be stored in the fridge? David and from where? Ireland. Maybe in Ireland, they don't store them in the fridge. I know in Asia, they don't, uh, they tend not to store them in the fridge. But in North America, we store them in the fridge. Yeah, no, eggs, eggs are in the fridge. They need to be kept cold. That's my because, understanding. Uh, the egg manufacturers, they spray the outside of the egg with some kind of disinfectant, which makes them uh, susceptible to bacteria growth if you don't store them in the uh, in the fridge. Is that in, true? In other, yeah, in another, I believe so. In another parts of the world, they don't do that, so you don't have to store them in the fridge. Very but interesting. That fridge is a North American fridge and therefore has little egg holders to mm-hmm. hold individual eggs. That was the... Uh, uh, the whole point of that part of the fridge is to hold eggs. I remember when uh, I was in uh, Singapore, the f- first time I went to Singapore and I was in a grocery store buying groceries and there was eggs on the shelf. And I was like, what the hell? Why are there eggs on the shelf? Like <laughs> it just did, it just didn't make any sense to me until uh, we were I was talking to somebody who lives there and they said, yeah, uh, they uh, they don't have salmonella in, in Singapore or in Asia. Weird. just... So they don't need to store eggs in the fridge. But we buy them out of the fridge. You have to take them out of a fridge compartment at the grocery store. You bring them home. You put them in your own damn fridge until you're ready to eat them. Yeah, very true. Very true. All right. Well, you learn something new every day. And uh, that's that. Ryan in Brisbane, Australia writes, Holy crap, Eugene and the homemade bomb. He's MacGyver. But his groupies are a bit hotter than Patty and Selma from The Simpsons. Okay, Jason. So remind me what's going on here. So MacGyver was on The Simpsons and Patty and Selma were totally into him, right? No, uh, Patty and Selma watched MacGyver. It was a Sideshow Bob episode. Uh Uh, Patty and Selma were avid MacGyver uh, fans. Fans. And they would watch it every week. And then Patty would, uh, she quit smoking except for one single smoke that she would have at the end of every MacGyver episode. Ah, yes. And Sideshow Bob was using that as an opportunity to try and kill Selma or Patty. I forget which one he was dating, but he had, uh, she did, had lost her sense of smell. So he had put uh, a whole bunch of gas into the building so that when she lit her cigarette at the end of MacGyver, the house would blow up and kill her. <laughs> Seems like such a plan. <laughs> what a plan. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, uh, it was one of the first Sideshow Bob episodes. Okay. All right. Well, Eugene is MacGyver, and his groupies are hotter than Patty and Selma. Yeah, and, you know, not cartoons. Not cartoons. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Victor in Brazil writes, holy crap, how impolite is Eugene? He didn't even apologize for the bite at Dwight's Nuts. However, he did apologize you remember he he clamped yes. onto uh onto Dwight's nuts last uh season or was that season seven or six uh last time he saw Dwight <laughs> no I don't think that's true but I think it was earlier season seven anyways he did in the very final scene of this episode when Dwight's standing uh, when uh, Eugene is standing out there and Dwight walks out the first thing Eugene says is he starts to apologize for clamping down but then Dwight cuts him off and he doesn't get to finish his sentence. Oh, so yeah, he, that's what that was about. He, that's right. Yeah, he tries to apologize, or he sort of does, but Dwight doesn't want to hear it, and then they go into their, I'm Eugene, you're Dwight, we're Negan stuff. So there you go. Nice. So he isn't totally impolite, but 
It's not so far off anyways. <laughs> James in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania writes, holy crap, Negan tones down his mood. It seems like the showrunners heard the chatter of Negan being a little too over the top and had JDM pull back. Still enjoyable, though, and still a dick. And as we just talked about, I would agree with that. You know, I don't know that he toned it down because of the chatter from us and from other people. Uh, but in any case, he did tone it down. And I like your explanation of it being a character thing, not a yeah. showrunner thing. Yeah, I think so. Cool. Um, and then James goes on actually to say a small personal holy crap they Might Be Giants made a soundtrack appearance during Eugene's supply rating. Not a band I thought I would ever hear on The Walking Dead, but it made me smile regardless. It made me smile too. That's right. I remember, I'm like, that, I think that's They Might Be Giants. I didn't recognize the song, uh, but I did recognize the voices. Well, there you go. So They Might Be Giants. Uh, good stuff. Jack in really rainy England. Now, I'm a little upset about that because I'm going to England in uh, <laughs> like 24 hours and a bit, 36 hours, I'm getting on a plane. And I hope it's not really rainy the whole time I'm there. So I'm going to have to um, look at the weather. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. But I want to walk around. I have a bit of free time. I want to walk around in London a bit and do some stuff and experience some things. And if it's really rainy, it's going to be no fun. Yeah, bring an umbrella and some rubber boots or galoshes or something bring my galoshes i was gonna bring a pair of sneakers and that's it wow it's probably you, a mistake you get galoshes for sneakers can't you i don't know plastic bags maybe well that'll be good people will give me change and buy me lunch maybe anyways jack in really rainy england writes holy crap did eugene just do the elephant's toothpaste experiment that thing was a rite of passage for science students at my old secondary school we reacted the same way as Negan's wives, but after the 600th time, it really loses its appeal. Right. <laughs> I don't know why it's called the elephant's toothpaste. Oh, I mean, I can speculate because it kind of looks like a big toothpaste, uh, looks like toothpaste squirting out of a toothpaste, uh, a huge toothpaste tube. Yep. Toothpaste, toothpaste. I'll say toothpaste some more. Um, and elephants might need a lot of toothpaste because their mouths are big. It could be. But I've never heard it referred to like that. So very cool. They have big teeth, eh? Like like really big, solid teeth. Yeah. You don't Crazy. want to get chewed on by an elephant. Well, it's meant for grinding up, uh, uh, you know, vegetable matter. Yeah, same. Right? But it's like this big, huge, massive teeth. It's crazy. Same as our molars, just big because elephants are giant. No, I think they're like double size. They're like not just proportionally big for the size of their heads, but their teeth are actually... Uh, bigger than, you know, if you scaled down an elephant to the size of our head, their teeth would still be huge. Interesting. Well, there you go. Uh, very cool. Um, Michael in London, also in London, writes, uh, holy crap, not a good time for that doctor to get hot-headed, was it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Zing, I like that. And finally, Gemma in South Wales, UK, my holy crap moment was Dr. Carson being thrust into the fire. I did not see that coming as I assumed Negan would just burn his face, but no, into the fire he went. Ouch. The other Dr. Carson they are referring to is at the hilltop with Maggie. They are brothers. So I didn't want to steal Gemma's thunder here when we were talking about it earlier, because when I was watching the episode, I assumed that Negan was referring to the other doctor as Eugene, because he said, I'm a doctor. But apparently, Dr. Carson at the hilltop, who was the obstetrician who treated Maggie, is 
this Dr. Carson's brother. Isn't that interesting? And I looked it up, and Gemma's right. Apparently they are brothers, and that guy's still alive. So was Negan referring to Eugene, who said he's a doctor? Uh, or was he referring to Dr. Carson at the hilltop, and now they're going to drive over there and say, you got to come with us, you live here now? I think that they're referring to the other Dr. Carson. Well, there you go. So uh, Negan's not so dumb after all. Mm-hmm. Very good. Thanks, Gemma, for pointing that out. That is very cool. And I don't know if that's the kind of little detail that I don't think everyone would, would pick up on. I mean, I certainly didn't. I forgot all about that guy because we haven't seen him in so long. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So uh, that is that is great. Thanks, everyone, for sending in your holy craps. Like I said, a bit of a, a, bit of a short one this week, but that's okay. And uh, maybe there'll be more next time. Uh, all righty, Jason, it is time to wrap this thing up. So just before we leave, I want to remind everyone that I am, as I just said, coming to London on Wednesday for Walker Stalker Con, which is next weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday. What is that? March, uh, 4th and 5th, but I'm in London from, you know, Wednesday night until Tuesday. Now, I'm pretty busy the whole time, but uh, I do hope to see a lot of our listeners at the con, a lot of our UK listeners, anyone else who's going to be there. If you're uh, looking for me, I will be moderating at least one panel, and I think two. Um, In fact, I'm pretty sure two. I was talking to Jason from The Walking Dead cast who organizes the panels, and he's got me on the Jay Bonansinga panel. So he's Uh the guy that writes the novels, so come to that if you want. And then also with him, with Jason, on the Tom Paine and Xander Berkeley panel. So that should be fun. That'll be cool. Very cool. I got to think up some stuff to talk to those guys about. Are you going to wear, are you going to paint seven blue dots on your head so that people can recognize that, uh, that, 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 that it's you? Do you think that's necessary? Yeah. Okay. Then that way I- they just look around and they go, if they find somebody with six blue dots, they know, okay, that's not Chris. But if it's got, they've got seven blue dots on their, painted on their head, then it's like, oh, that, that, that's got to be Chris. All right. Well, good. Six is not enough. Eight is too many. You know, yep. nine is way out. So Yeah, seven. That, that's way wrong. That's like somebody named, you know, Cassandro Dan Flard or something like that. Because that's just a crazy <laughs> number of blue dots, right? It's, that's too many. That's right. <laughs> Uh, all right. So look, look for me. Um, it might be easier just to go to those panels and find me, but if you don't, or, or you can't, um, we are going to have a little meetup, listener meetup on uh, Saturday evening. Now it's going to be at 6 PM at the society bar and restaurant in the Olympia Hilton hotel, which is the official hotel for the con, the con, the conference is of course at the Lon- Olympia London exhibition center, I think it's called. And the hotel's like five minute walk from there. So 6 PM on Saturday, March the 4th. I really should have looked up the dates. Wednesday's the first, <laughs> second, third, fourth. Yeah. March the 4th, Saturday, 6 PM. Now, Unfortunately, everybody, I can only stay until eight. So I I have other plans later on in the Saturday evening. So eight, maybe 830 at the latest, I got to get out of there. So I will be there for a couple of hours though. So please come by, say hi, we can have a drink together and, and hang out. It should be really fun. And I am around on Sunday too. So if anyone wants to hang out on Sunday, we can do that as well. So good times. And cool. the J Bon and Singa panel is uh, at like five o'clock, I think ends at 5 45, uh, on the Saturday. So I'll be finishing that up and heading straight over to 
the uh, the meetup at six o'clock. So if you're at the panel, you can hang out. You can come over with me. It'll be good. Um, I won't be there. I know it's sad. It's really really sad. It is kind of sad, but true. It would be it would be fun if you were there. One of these days. One of these days, we'll have to do this again sometime together. Yep, someday. One more thing, Jason. This is this is just funny and kind of ridiculous. Cool. I was driving around the other day with my kids in the back of the car. Yeah. And one of my daughters, Isabel, she's sitting there and she all of a sudden pipes up and she asks me if any famous singers listen to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Out of the blue, you know. Uh, And I thought about this for a second and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to expand that a little bit and I'm going to ask... Everybody listening, if anybody famous listens to the podcast, celebrity, uh, you know, singer, actor, or otherwise. And, uh, you know, you know, we had Steve Coulter, if you remember, on the show. He played Reg Monroe, and uh-huh. he, we had him on the podcast because he listened to us, and he sent me an email and said, hey, I'm a big fan, and I, was, and I invited him on the show. So I do know that Steve was listening at the time, and hi, yep. Steve, if you still are. But I just figured, you know what? Isabel wants to know if any famous people listen, and I decided I do too. So if you're famous and you're listening, uh, just let us know. Send an email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com and uh, just say hi. Right? That'd be nice. Yes. <laughs> and I, I have a weird kind of view of fame. Uh-huh. Uh, I consider you famous if I know who you are. So, sure. Yeah. And that's pretty much my only benchmark for, for that. If I know who you are, you're famous. Well, I, I'm not going to go into defining fame or celebrity. I'm just going to say, if you're a celebrity and you listen, send me an email. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell anybody. I just want to know, or better yet, send us a voicemail and say, hi, my name is Tom Hanks my, and I'm I a big is, fan of the Gene Talking Gene Simmons Dead. from the rock band Kiss. <laughs> yeah. We had Gene Simmons <laughs> right in and earlier we had Janeway, you know, or that's right. In. Kate Mulgrew. That's right. So, uh, we know you're out there people. Anyways, I just thought that was funny. Uh, to anyone who's still listening, um, I commend you, and uh, I am su- I'm a little bit surprised. <laughs> if anybody's still listening, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna call it a night here. So uh, thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to get in touch, visit talkingdeadpodcast.com and click on send voicemail to send us a message. You can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. And you can send all your emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com, which reminds me, Jason, because I am going to London, it's going to screw up our feedback show this week. Tis, tis. I will be five hours ahead of you. It makes recording super inconvenient and awkward. What we are going to try to do is wait a couple of days and record something on the weekend when you're off work um, and I can find some time. So folks, there won't be a feedback show on Thursday night. Like usual, I apologize, but we're going to do our best to get something out from London and maybe I will have uh, had time at the con a little bit or something that we we can talk about. So we'll do our best to get that done. No, no uh, promises, but I really do want to do something because it sucks when we miss an episode. Um, and then next week, since I'll still be in London on Monday, I don't come home until Tuesday. We're going to do our best to record the recap of the next episode on the Tuesday night. So it'll be one day late next week. Uh, I hope that's okay. Yeah. Cause you're going to be in transit, right? So that's going to be difficult. Yeah. Monday, Monday night. Uh, well, Monday, I don't, I don't fly till Tuesday, but 
Um, I just can't record on the Monday. It doesn't work out and you're working here and I'm five hours ahead. Tuesday, I get back like in the evening. So if I can get off the plane, get home, sit down in front of the computer and press record, we're going to do our best to do that. Good. All right. So I think that's everything. We've been ending the show for like a half an hour now, but hey, (laughs) what the hell? (laughs) Uh, until, Until next time, everybody, which hopefully will be on the weekend and I'll see you all in London. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.